0: We continue the sermon series this morning from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, reading from chapter 13, beginning at verse 8 and following. Let us ask the Lord, whose Spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture, to breathe upon us afresh, to open our hearts and to open our minds that we might receive his word, and respond to it in true faith. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you that you are the God of truth and of true love, and that you care for us and speak your word of life and truth to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit, grant to us spiritual illumination in our minds. Open the eyes of our hearts and grant, O Lord, that we might receive your word in true faith and respond with joyful and glad obedience to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. And to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. A young man sat in a garden, perhaps contemplating the philosophy and religion he had been studying, perhaps contemplating his own life, wrestling with his own restless heart. Although his mother was a devout Christian, he himself had never fully embraced the faith. He had dabbled in other religions But the fact was that as a young man, he lived a life of dissolute, hedonistic, immoral, promiscuous paganism. As he sat in that garden that day, he heard a child's voice chanting, a phrase that the chant or jingle was probably part of a child's game like the rhymes children say when they are jumping rope or playing jacks. The jingle was this, tole legge, tole legge. That's Latin for take up and read, take up and read. The young man looked down and saw a book. That book just happened to be the Bible. He opened it randomly and read this verse, which we just read, Romans thirteen thirteen. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." And by the grace of God through the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit, the young man was truly converted, spiritually transformed, given new birth and new life with faith in Jesus Christ by the word of God. His name, Aurelius Augustinus, better known to us as Saint Augustine. One of the greatest theologians of the Christian church, whose writings in the fourth and fifth centuries have had and continue to have a profound influence on the Christian faith and Western civilization. You may remember that Martin Luther was trained as an Augustinian monk, and there are many references to St. Augustine in the writings of John Calvin. Therefore, even though he lived in the fourth and fifth centuries, St. Augustine is sometimes called the father of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And it was this verse, Romans 13, 13, which the Holy Spirit used to bring about his spiritual transformation, his conversion. So let's turn now to Romans 13, 8 through 14, and, and see the larger context of this verse, which the Holy Spirit used to bring about Augustine's conversion. Now, the first thing to note, again, remember, is that we are in that section of Romans which teaches us how to live as Christians in response to the mercies of God. The Christian life, Christian discipleship begins with the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1 and following. Paul proclaims the mercies of God in chapters 3 through 11, in which we read, in various different passages expressed in different ways, that Jesus was the wrath-appeasing, justice-satisfying, sin-atoning, substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, necessary for our reconciliation with God. The mercies of God flow to us in and through Jesus Christ. As Romans five eight says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The mercies of God flow to us through Jesus Christ. In chapters 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul gives inspired instructions for Christian living. Inspired instructions for Christian discipleship in response to the mercies of God. Last Sunday, we read the preceding passage regarding government authority, which concludes in verse 7, saying, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed is owed. That is how the Christian is to live in relationship to the civil authority. But Paul then continues in verse 8, picking up on that language of paying what is owed, keeping short and clean accounts, and and makes a broader application. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So now it's it's not about obeying the laws of the land, the laws of the civil government. It's about obeying the law of God. And not only obeying the law of God, but fulfilling the law of God. But listen to the way in which Paul transitions into that. The command to owe no one anything, verse 8, owe no one anything, may be applied as a general principle of financial management and stewardship. That is, pay off debts in a timely fashion. Don't be a person with the reputation of being a freeloader or mooching and bumming off of others. Don't put yourself in a position that you will be buried in debt and unable to pay what you owe. Now, that's good financial counsel from the Bible, and I think it's a good application of this verse. But, but really, even more so, I think Paul says, Oh, no one anything, as a way of transitioning to and setting up the real point of what he's about to say. Love each other. Love each other. Each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. That's the obligation which is always outstanding. When we pay a financial obligation, we're done with it and we can forget about it. We're all paid up. But when we love our neighbor in obedience to God's law, we're not done with it. The obligation continues. You see, in this passage, it's very interesting how Paul makes his point about loving our neighbor, saying, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, the fact that the Apostle Paul cites some of the Ten Commandments shows us that, yes, yes, the Ten Commandments have relevance and a role to play in the Christian life. No, the Ten Commandments do not serve as a means of our salvation. Paul has already made that clear. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, Romans 3.20. It is also true that the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, the dietary laws, the ritual cleansing laws, have been fulfilled by Christ and in Christ, and they no longer apply in the new covenant. They pointed to Christ. Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is risen. Those Old Testament dietary ritual laws have been fulfilled and have passed away. And the civil laws of ancient Israel, though they may embody enduring principles, are no longer in force as they were in ancient Israel. So some of the laws of the Old Testament no longer directly apply to the Christian life, but the Ten Commandments express the enduring, abiding, moral law of God which continues to apply to all people in all places throughout all of history. The first tablet of the Ten Commandments shows us, teaches us, How to love God, the first tablet of the Ten Commandments, defines love for God. The second tablet of the Ten Commandments teaches us, shows us how to love our neighbor, defines love for neighbor. And in telling us how to love God and how to love our neighbor, the Ten Commandments also reveal to us our sin, how we fall short of loving God and our neighbor as we ought. And so the commandments show us our need of a Savior and they point us to the Savior who perfectly kept all of the commandments and fulfilled all righteousness. Jesus Christ, because he committed no sin, because he perfectly obeyed each and every one of the commandments, he was able to bear our sins in His own body, on the tree, to atone for our sins, to satisfy the justice of God against our sins. And we, through faith in Him, are credited, credited with His righteousness. Credited with His righteousness. We receive His righteousness. Our justification by His grace, as a gift. We we are justified by His grace, received through faith. That's the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And we receive God's mercy by receiving Jesus Christ in faith. And then what? What happens in real conversion? What happens when justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, really takes place in our lives? What happens when justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, becomes more than a motto, more than a slogan, more than a doctrine, but a real experiential reality in our lives? What happens? When justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, really takes place in our lives. The Holy Spirit takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart which is tender toward God. The Holy Spirit sets us free from the overwhelming and enslaving power of sin and empowers us To obey the law of God with a grateful and happy heart. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We know that God loves us. We know by His Spirit that we are His children. Adopted as the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And with God's love within us by the power of the Spirit. We are motivated to live a life of love, love for God, and love for our neighbor. And then obedience to the law of God is no longer motivated primarily by fear of punishment, but by love for God. And love for neighbor flows from a heart that has experienced the everlasting love of God through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. So a new kind of obedience begins to direct our lives. Not the obedience of a fearful person living under the law of a tyrannical government. But the obedience which flows from a wellspring of love. Love for God which shows itself in love for neighbor because God has first loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice For our sins. In this passage, the Apostle Paul refers to only a few of the Ten Commandments from the second tablet concerning love for neighbor. That does not mean that the other commandments do not apply. Of of course, they do. But Paul's point here is to teach us that when we truly seek the best interest of our neighbor, when we truly seek to promote our neighbor's well being, when we truly seek to do Good to our neighbor, for the good of our neighbor. When we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, when we live by this definition of love and love our neighbor as we love ourselves in this way, then by God's grace we are fulfilling the law of God. This is what Paul means when he says the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And love... Is the fulfilling of the law. So, for example, if you look at the commandments and you say, "You shall not murder," well, okay, so I've I've never murdered anyone. Okay, I've I've kept that. And um, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Well, I've never done that uh, literally, so I've kept that. And uh, you shall not steal. Well, I haven't stolen, much, so I've, I've kept that. I'm, I'm good. No, no, you haven't kept the law. You haven't fulfilled the law. Because when expressed in that way with that attitude as checking off negatives that you have not literally committed so as to avoid punishment for sin... There's no love for your neighbor expressed in that. It's still all about you. And Paul says the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. That's true obedience to the law when it's motivated by love for the other. So the Ten Commandments ought not to be thought of as laws written on stone to which we offer external obedience by avoiding certain sins out of fear of punishment. At least, not primarily so, not for the Christian. For the Christian, the Ten Commandments are an expression of God's love for us, His intention of blessing upon us. And so our obedience to the commandments are to be an expression of our love for God in response to His mercies and therefore our love for our neighbor. The Ten Commandments rightly understood, rightly applied, serve as a pattern for Christian obedience in response to the mercies of God. And when motivated by love, obedience to the Ten Commandments takes on a positive character and a spiritual nature. And what I mean by that is this. For example, if I love my neighbor, I will not merely not murder him, but I will seek to do that which protects his life and promotes his well-being and will seek to show him or her kindness in a way that brings blessing. To his or her life and enriches and promotes his or her life. If I love my neighbor, I will not merely not steal what is his or hers, but will seek to protect his or her property in it so far as is possible. And if my neighbor has need of something I have... I will be willing to share what I have to help him in his time of need. This is the fulfilling of the law. Now, now not that any of us does this perfectly and and not that it establishes us in a right relationship with, with God. No, it does not. But love fulfills the law by the power of the Spirit within us. We have been set free from the enslaving, all-consuming power of sin. We've, We've been set free from that so that we might fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, Paul says in Romans 8. Love fulfills the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law Because it accomplishes the purpose of the law, which is to bring blessing into our neighbor's life by doing our neighbor good for his or her benefit and well-being. Let me say that again. Love fulfills the law fills it up. Love is the fulfilling of the law because it accomplishes the purpose of the law which is to bring blessing into our neighbor's life by doing our neighbor good for his or her benefit and well-being. Love fulfills the law because love turns us outward toward our neighbor and the way from our selfish, self-centered, sinful desires. This is what changed the life of Aurelius Augustinus. When he realized the love of God for him in Jesus Christ, his life was transformed with love for God. Much of his theological writings have to do with Loving God and loving neighbor. And one of his most famous sayings is from, from one of his sermons, Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. Meaning, when love for God motivates your life, you will do that which is in accordance with His will, in accord with His commandments loving your neighbor as yourself. When love for God motivates your life, if the love of God rules your life, then all that you think and say and do will be yielded to that love and obedience to God will flow from that love for God. Now, this is what set Aurelius Augustinus free from a life of orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Through Jesus Christ, he discovered what real life and real love really is. And so in verses 11 through 14, the Apostle Paul adds encouragement and exhortation to his instruction to love one another. He, He puts it in its cultural context, and the same is true for us today. Our love for one another is a powerful witness in a world which is wasting away. Now remember at the beginning of chapter 12 we are warned, we are commanded not to be conformed to this present age, this present age corrupted by sin. Rather we are to live as citizens of the eternal kingdom which has already dawned with the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes, you know the time That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. There's a sense of urgency in Paul's words. He's saying that it's time to get up and get moving. There's no time to waste. Why? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Well, in that verse, Paul uses the word salvation In the complete and ultimate sense, looking to the future completion of salvation, our glorification together with Christ. And isn't it true? The sands of time are sinking. Every day lived on earth is a day nearer to heaven for the faithful Christian Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. History is moving toward its conclusion and consummation. With the second coming of Christ in power and glory, there's no prediction in that statement. I'm not talking about some kind of timeline chronology here. Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and Christ will come again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. It does not matter whether His coming occurs in two days, in two years, or 2,000 years, or 20,000 years. When He comes... We will witness it. And when he comes, history will be gone in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, eternity will unfold before us. When he comes, then we will know that a thousand years are as but a day. And even prior to his final coming, when we die, if we die before He comes, even if we live to be 101, even if we live to be 101, when we breathe our last breath, we will realize that life on earth is but a breath, a mist, and a vapor. The word of God is saying to us, wake up, get up. The light has come. The light is shining. Come out of the darkness of this dying world. Come out of the darkness of sin and be done with it. And live as people of light. For the light of Christ has come into this world. And we're to live in the light of Jesus Christ, clothed with the armor of light. The, the armor of his righteousness and his truth and his goodness and his grace prepared to serve Christ and to do spiritual warfare for Christ in this world. Rather than wear the clothing of this sinful world in works of darkness, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to clothe ourselves with His love and His righteousness at his truth and his power to live in him to walk in his steps loving god and loving neighbor and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires don't let the impulses and inclinations of your sinful nature which reside continually within you to draw you aside and draw you back into the darkness. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The call to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is the call to bear His likeness and to live as His witnesses in all that we do and say that leaves no room for us to pursue our sinful, selfish desires. That is the call which awoke Aurelius Augustinus out of his sleep and brought him into the light of God's kingdom. Now think about it. There is no love for God. There is no love for neighbor. In the excesses of bacchanalian debauchery, orgies of food and drink and other materialistic excesses for the sake of gluttony and drunkenness. Fleshly pleasure. There is no love for God or love for neighbor in sexual immorality and sensuality. Despite what this world tells us. Oh no, there is there is no love for neighbor in sexual immorality. There is no love for the other in sexual immorality. It's all self-centered. There is no love for God or neighbor and quarreling and jealousy, relational strife in which we're always fighting to have our way and what you see on the news or read on the internet or what you read on the magazine covers and the grocery store checkout lines. I mean, don't buy them, but you can't help reading Jealousy, quarreling, strife. This is a cruel, crude world in which we live. Our culture is imploding in cruel, crude, barbaric strife and enmity. There's no love in any of that. It all violates God's law because it is all void of God's love. It violates God's law because it is void of God's love. And as we read this passage today, doesn't it seem to you that it was indeed written for us for this very day in which we live, in which there is so much darkness, in which there is so much emptiness and excess, so much selfishness and lovelessness, in which there is so much quarreling and jealousy, in which there is so much opportunity to gratify our sinful desires. A world very much like first century Rome, a world very much like the 4th century and 5th century in which Augustine lived in which he witnessed the collapse of the Roman Empire. A young man sat in a garden. He had been looking for love in all the wrong places. Perhaps he was wrestling with his own restless heart. But after he had experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ, St. Augustine wrote, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Let us rest in that love. Let us live in that love. Let us show forth that love and thus fulfill the law of God to the glory of his name. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are the God of love, the God of truth, the God of grace, the God of sovereign, saving grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit will root your love in our hearts and that our hearts will be rooted in your love so that we might grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus who is himself the embodiment of your love and show forth his love that all the world may know that he is the savior whom you have sent into the world to the glory of your name. Amen.